0: When I was growing up, I was really, really poor. Like, really poor. In fact, we were poor. We were so poor. We were so poor, we couldn't afford the R. We were real poor. We were so poor that the welfare kids made fun of us. We were so poor that the project kids would brag about everything that they had in comparison to us. That's how poor we were, right? Super, super poor. And so because we were poor and because we really didn't have anything to speak of, I was always ashamed to bring people to my house. I was always ashamed to let him into the house because it was a nightmare, right? We had, we had nothing and it was, and I don't know about you, but I had crazy family members. Anybody else here have crazy family members? Yeah, it wasn't safe. It wasn't safe to bring cra- uh, people to my house, right? So, but this, this, this traveled with me my whole life. And so when I'm, when I'm 17, I meet this really super pretty girl. And I go, man, this might be the one. And I think I thought that in like the first two minutes. Anybody else like me? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, wow, she's fine. She might be the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so I saw, and I said, and I, and I, you know, we started to get serious and we started to hang out together and connect and do all that stuff. But and then she would come occasionally to my house. And I would tell her, could you wait in the hallway? Because I couldn't have her come upstairs. Now, things, yeah, the hallway, how bad is that, right? And so, so now, things. just so you know, things went pretty well because that, that girl finally became my wife, right? And so, yeah, I'm a lucky guy. But she had to endure sitting on the steps of my hallway. Did I say I was 17? I'm not saying I was smart. I'm just saying. But she stood there, and I couldn't let her in. But you know why I couldn't let her in? Because if she came into the house, you see, if she actually met my family, if she found out where I really came from, then she wouldn't like me anymore. See, she, I, I knew that I wasn't enough. I knew that I had stuff in the back that I didn't want anybody else to see. You know, that's still with me today. Even when I meet new people, I still want to look the best that I can. I want to present the best me forward. I, I want to show you the me without blemishes. I wonder if I'm the only one who's like this. Do you struggle with this too? Where, where you meet others and you're not totally forth about your past. Where you meet a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend and you're not trying to tell them 1998 to 19 to 2003, right? Like you are not trying to talk about that season of life, right? It's, it's I think it's true for all of us. I think that we all come to this point where we say to ourselves, if they, know who the, if they know who we are, they won't love us. If they find out about us, they won't want to be with us. You know, God knows this. God knows that every one of us have a tendency to hide. All of you, right now, presently, are hiding. There is, right? All right, which, how many of you women put on makeup when you came in here? Okay, right? There's a few of you, right? And some men, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> welcome, welcome. We love you. No, I'm kidding. There was no man who raised a hand, but I'm um, so just teasing. Um, okay. But that's, right? That's, that's a form of trying to put on your best face. It, it, Every one of us, right, <laughs> we put on, like, you know, cologne or deodorant. You know what cologne and deodorant is? It is, it is a cover-up for your stink. <laughs> That's all that is. That's all that is. And so the reason we put that on is because, again, we're just covering up. It's, it's, in, every, it's in every one of us. God knows this about us. And so what God wanted to do is he gave us Many passages, but one that we're going to look at today, where he lets everybody in to his closet. He lets everybody see his dirty laundry. And he lets us see it so that you might know that you could have relationship with him. He lets us see it so that you might know that he loves you deeply and is pursuing you violently. That he will rush after you. He he wants you to know, and here's the big idea that he wants you to know, that the one who knows you the best loves you the most. The one who sees you in your grime and in your funk. The one who sees 1998 and 3 o'clock in the morning, Saturday night. The one who knows you the best loves you the most. So he gives us this story. And I'm going tell you, that what we're going to read today, nobody's going to go like, woohoo, we're going to read a bunch of names that maybe a lot of us don't know. We're going to read the genealogy of Jesus, where he lets us know that you can be in his family, even if you don't have a perfect past. Where you can be in his family, even if you don't come from a great background where you can be in his family even if you don't meet your own standards. So we're going to look at it. Now, we usually stand up, but we're not going to stand up today. I'm just going to read quickly, briefly, the first six verses of the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew was a follower of Jesus Christ, and he wanted to write this book so that his Jewish friends could know that Jesus was the Messiah. And so because he wanted, and I know that sounds crazy, right? Especially if you come from a Jewish background. It's like, wait, no, that's crazy. Christians and, and, and Jesus are total enemies of Jews. That's not true. It's not true. It's Jesus was a Jew. And, and, and so you, you, can, you can check it out for yourself. But Jesus was a Jew. And Matthew was trying to tell his Jewish friends about Jesus and he, so he was trying to give a lineage or a genealogy for, uh, for the people who would read Matthew's book so that they would know that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. But he does something that's so weird. He does something that's so foreign that it totally turns it upside down. He gives a genealogy, but then he adds, and this is the weirdest part, he adds women to the genealogy when, in that culture, they never added women to the genealogy. It was always, I'm not saying that's right or good, I'm just saying that that's the way it was. That it was father begat son, became father, begat son, became father, begat son, like that. That's the only way it went down. And if you had some sons who were like, you know, made a weird left turn, you'd skip that kid. And then you would say, Father, because, like, that's the way, right? How many of us would be skipped, right? Maybe one or two of us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so but that's the way the genealogies would roll. I'm not saying that's good or, or anything like that. All I'm saying is that's the way it was. But Matthew, because you know why? When you come to Christianity, it breaks the cultural norms. When you come to Christianity, it devastates what's normal. Everybody in the world could think one thing is right, and when you come to Christianity, no, 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 there's some women. Jesus says, I don't like this cultural thing about just naming the guys. I want to get some girls up in this piece. I want to get some women that I want to highlight, but it's beautiful the way he does because you would think that he would pick the best out of his past, but again, we see Jesus lets us see his dirty laundry. He lets us see into his closet so that we might know that he welcomes us into his family because the one who knows us the best loves us the most. This is how it starts, the book of Matthew. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, everything going just fine. So-and-so the father of, so-and-so the father of, so-and-so the father of. And then he interrupts it and says, whose mother was Tamar, huh? We'll get to that in a second. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Let's look at this. This is very interesting. If you've ever felt like me, and you ever felt like you weren't good enough, or you ever felt the gospel is really good news for you, let me tell you something. The gospel is good news. Good news changes everything. And Matthew is trying to get the point across that Jesus is not just for the Jewish people. That Jesus is also for you Gentiles. That Jesus is for those who have checkered pasts, who have stuff in their closet, who have dirty laundry everywhere. Jesus is for the people who don't want to have a Facebook page because if the people from 1996 find out that they're there, all sorts of stuff could blow up today. You feel what I'm saying, right? Jesus is for the people. Jesus is for the people who feel like no one else cares. Jesus. Jesus is for you. Let's look at this first one in verse 3. It goes, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, and we go, oh yeah, that's right. That's exactly the way genealogy should go. Whose mother was Tamar. You never heard of Tamar. You don't know her story. Tamar. Tamar was a woman who walked around with deep shame. She was abused. She was abused and devastated in the worst possible way. Tamar, all she was doing was just being uh, a part of a family. And she was trying to love her brother well. Now, here's the good news. This is why I know that the Bible, right? So if you ever go, oh, yeah, you know, the Bible is just a man-made story to manipulate people to get them to do. I used to think like that. I was an atheist most of my life. And I, I tell you, it's stories like Tamar that make me go, nah. Nah, maybe not. Because I, I wouldn't have put Tamar's story in there. I'd have skipped Tamar's story. Tamar was a daughter of David, King David. And she was trying to serve her brother who was sick. At least he was pretending to be sick. Her brother grabbed her and did awful things, terrible things. The kind of things that nobody should ever experience Tamar was taken against her will and raped. In this culture, it was not allowed for you not, there was no excuses for you not to be a virgin. This rape would devastate her entire future. This rape, everybody, and in this culture, if you didn't get married, and you didn't have kids, it's not like there's any social security or welfare to cover your back. Having children was a sign of God's blessing on your life. She would not. She would not experience the joys that she wanted to experience. She would walk with this shame her whole life. That shame would define her for the rest of her days. No children no Tamar I wonder if there's one of you who are here who maybe have a moment in in your past that's the forever present moment that moment and it wasn't even your fault it's not even something you did It was something that was done to you and it's forever your present experience. It's always right now for you. The way you make your decisions, the people who you date, the way you carry yourself, how you interact with others, your level of trust, all of it is affected by this one moment in time. Tamar, knows what you're going through. She walked with it. And listen, and Jesus put her story, put her name so that you would remember her story because Jesus wanted you to know even if you have a past full of shame, you can still be a part of the family. You could still be in the family of Christ We jump down to verse 5 and we see Salmon, the father of Boaz, the mother of Rahab. Now, Rahab, see, there are shames that you and I get bestowed upon us, and then there are shames that we volunteer for. Rahab throughout the entire Bible is always followed by her title, Rahab the harlot. How would you like to walk around with that? Hey, there's, you know, there's Edwin the junkie. Hey, thank you. (laughs) Rahab the harlot. See, Rahab, we don't know much of her past. We don't know how she got there. But we do know that when we finally meet her in the book of Judges, that she is giving herself away to the highest bidder that she doesn't take care of her chastity, that her reputation has gone out the window to the degree that you don't, you know, you know how you go, you know, oh, Edwin, the pastor. Or you go, oh, Johnny, the tall one. You go, oh, Rahab. The harlot. Rahab had experienced a life where she stopped caring about what other people thought because it was too, and it's not because she was so mature and she, she stopped caring because it was too painful to hear. She knew that she was messing up her life. She knew that her life was going down the wrong road and she didn't care. And she did it and she did it flagrantly and she was a prostitute and she gave herself away and deadened her heart. See, there are certain shames that are bestowed upon us and then there are certain shames that we volunteer for. Rahab was one of those who volunteered for the shame that she was going through. But you know, I, I imagine that there are those that are here who have volunteered for shame, who have raised their hand to be involved with stuff that you wish would have never, ever happened. See, sometimes we get through life and we make one mistake after another and we think that because our past mistakes dictate this, then that means that our present life has to be lived in this way. And Jesus wants you to know That even if your your life is, if the wheels are coming off in your life, even if your life is lived out in sin, your biography doesn't have to be your destiny. That the way you've lived your yesterdays doesn't necessitate that you live your tomorrows that way. Jesus knows the shame. Jesus knows when you made that wrong turn, Jesus knows that. And he says, I want you in the family. Because listen to me, the one who knows you the best loves you the most. We see in that same verse, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now this was interesting, right, because Ruth was a a Moabite, which is to say that she wasn't a Jewish person. Remember, Matthew is writing a Jewish story for Jewish readers about a Jewish Messiah. I would have hidden Ruth because she was outside the lineage. She was outside of the pure people. You see, Ruth didn't grow up in a church. Ruth didn't Uh, wasn't raised in in the biblical scriptures. Ruth was a total foreigner to all things of God. And yet, and yet she's here because even if you wanted nothing to do with God your whole life, maybe you're like me and you grew up and you were basically an atheist and you wanted nothing to do with God. Jesus wants you to know that you too can come into the family. You go, but I, you know what? I don't want to have anything. You know what? When I think of Jesus, it's like thinking of Thor. It's like a myth. I don't, I don't really believe that stuff. And I would just say, listen, listen. I would just say, journey along with us. That's the way I started. See, I was convinced that I wanted to know the truth. And I would follow the truth anywhere it took me. Because in life, there are really really two kinds of people, right? There are people who are honest doubters and people who are dishonest doubters. The dishonest doubters, you know who they are? They're the people who only study as much or look into God as much or check out Christianity as much as verifies their already preconceived ideas. They're dishonest doubters. They say they, they have, they're doubters, no question. And, and it's true, but it, it, I, I remember when I was a dishonest doubter. I would, I would hear something from like the History Channel, and that would be my defense. I would read something in USA, not like I did any research. Not like I studied any uh, doctrine. Not like I actually read the Bible. No, 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 no. I would hear something that someone said that they heard their friend say, their professor said in some class six years ago, and I'd go, oh, yeah, 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 that's true. You know, we have that all the time. It's why whenever I talk to atheists, the same objections come up. Because it's not like anything new. These are not original thoughts. They're, they're coming up. And I know, because I was one of them. If you were born outside of the family of God, I'm telling you, this is reasonable. This book that everyone says, everyone outside of Christianity says, it's just a man-made book, I'd have skipped on Ruth's name. It's not. There's something here. And if you're an outsider and you don't feel like you belong, then Jesus wants you and his family Amen. too. And then... I love this one. In verse 6, and Jesse, the father of King David, woohoo! Was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Let me talk about David for a second. David, you go, wow, King David. Anybody here ever heard of King David? Yeah, yeah right, yeah, there's a few of us, right? Yeah, sure. King David was like the most glorious king of Israel, right? Um, He was the second king of Israel. He, you know, to him is described, in fact, when you talk about, you know, Israel, you talk about the house of David, right? When you think of Yankees, you go, the house that Ruth built, right? Yeah, David's even bigger than Babe Ruth, right? And so he's a really big deal. And so David, you have David in the lineage in which you go, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly right. David, he was the king. He was the warrior. He was the poet. And then, and then God inspires Matthew to put this little tidbit about David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. Now, here's the deal. You can, you can come to Christ if you're filled with shame because of what was done to you. Because the one who loves you, who knows you best and loves you the most. You can come to Christ if you have been the perpetrator of your own shame. You can come to Christ if you're an outsider. And this is the best news of all. You can come to Christ even if you're just as good as you can be. Because Jesus doesn't just save. sin; He doesn't just save people who are outwardly wicked. and But Jesus saves those who think that their righteousness will get them into heaven. Good people do not get into heaven. If that was true, there would be a vacancy sign in heaven's door all the time. Nobody would get in. Good people do not get to heaven. Forgiven people do. So Matthew, writing this letter, he goes, David, oh, you know, the one who slayed Goliath. He goes, David, oh, you know, the one who led his armies into Israel's most prosperous season. David, you know, the one who unified the kingdom and was a powerhouse throughout history. You know, David, one of the top, most tw- top 20 most important people that has ever graced the earth. No, 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 that's not what he says. He says, David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you about Uriah. Uriah was David's boy. There were 30 of them. Uriah was a part of that 30. Now, you know, you have like, like right. you have like people, right? right? You have your Facebook friends and then you have your people that you interact with friends and then you have like your family friends, right? You have those people that they're real, real close to you. Uriah was in that deep, deep, deep. Him, David, and these 30 guys, Uriah was one of them. Uriah was one, when David wasn't king, when he was by himself, when there wasn't a huge army behind him, Uriah was down with David. When David was fighting battles that could not be won, Uriah said, Ride or die, baby, but I ain't going nowhere. Uriah was the guy who said, when, when they were looking at an army and there was no hope for survival, Uriah was like, let's do this. Me and you. Womb to tomb. That was Uriah. So Uriah is in war. And David... Who should be there with him is back at the palace and David looks out and he sees this super pretty girl and she's taking a bath on her roof. David is probably the only one who could see her because his, his uh, castle is, is tall enough. He sees her and he goes whew! Man, she's a bad mamma jamma. What? I want that girl. So he goes to his, he goes to his, and all of you young people are like, why is everybody laughing? Because we're all old and we remember the 70s. Okay. He goes to his, he goes to his uh, aide and he says, You see that girl over there? Tell her to come to me. The aide hears exactly what's going on and he goes, Oh, 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 you mean, Uriah's wife. Like he's trying to let him know. He's trying. You mean Uriah's wife? Not Uriah's wife. Uriah. Uriah. Remember, womb to tomb, ride or die. Uriah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get her for me. And then he does what many men with power do. He he takes advantage of the poor woman who can't do anything. Then she's pregnant. So he doesn't just Rape this woman. Then he tries to cover it up. So what does he do? He calls Uriah back. And he says, Uriah, do me a favor, man. Let's have some, let's, ha- let's eat. How's, the, how's everything going on in the field? How are you guys doing? How's everything going? Here, get drunk. Uriah gets drunk and he goes, dude, go home. You've been out in war for like months. Be with your old lady. Come on. And so he goes, Uriah, rather than going honors his king and he sleeps on the steps to let him know he will not receive the pleasures of marriage while his boys, the ones who were ride or die with him, were going through what they were going through in war. Dave tries again, day two, same thing happens, he sleeps out on the steps. David goes, before you go, Uriah, here, hold up, I got a note for you. Gives him the note and he says, Give it to the captain of the guard. The thing is sealed with his wax ring. He knew Uriah wouldn't read it because he was his boy. And in the note it says, let Uriah be in the toughest part of the battle. When it gets real hot, pull everybody else back. Leave Uriah there to die. David, whose father of Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. See, this lets us know that even if you're a really good person and you've done anything, because there's no real good per- people, right? I know, I know you think you're good, and, you, and I know I think, I'm right? But, but, but we're not good. Like, when you, go, when you go to people and you go, are you a good person, what do they always answer? Yes. yes, of course I'm a good person. We're not, we're not, we're not. Listen, if you think you're a good person, just take a three-test quiz with me right now, okay? A three-question test quiz. Imagine you're in front of God. Imagine you're in front of God. And, and God is there. You died. And God goes, why should I let you into my heaven? And he goes, and you say to God, because I'm a pretty good person. And God goes, really? Hmm, let's, let's see. Have you ever lied before? And then, and then you go, well, you know, I guess. <laughs> I guess once or twice today. And so, <laughs> so I guess. And then imagine if God said, what does that make you? Right, it makes you a liar. You go, nah, 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 I'm not a liar. I've only, my, like, listen, listen, how many people do you have to kill before you consider it a murderer? Just one. How many people do you have to lie to before you consider it a liar? Just one. What if, what if God said, hey, have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you? pen at work, right, VCR at home, like, right, whatever. Have you ever taken anything that does, and the young people are going again, what's a VCR? (laughs) I know. No, DVDs are out, believe me, it's all MP3 now. All right, so, you would go, yeah, we've all taken things that don't belong to us, even from our brother and sister, we borrowed borrowed, a sweater that we never seem to have returned. Yeah, that's called stealing. What does that make you? makes you a thief. And you go, no, no, that's not true about me. Well, listen, how many things do you have to steal before you consider the thief? Okay. The, Jesus says, if you look at a person with lust in your heart, then you're an adulterer. You get where this is going, right? So you're in front of God. God is saying, why should I let you into my heaven? You're saying you're good, and God is going, wait, let me see. We just had a three-question test, and you're a lying, stealing, adulterer. You see, you're only good if you compare yourself to a person like me, because I'm not good. But you're not good when you compare yourself to God. David for all his heroics for all the amazing things that he did he knew he wasn't good and God wants all of you good people to know that it's not good enough to be good you got to be forgiven this is the this is what i want you to know the one who knows you the best loves you the most And so in this Christmas season, I want to share with you the most beautiful of Christmas gifts. And it's this. That for those who have had shame bestowed upon them, for those who have walked in shame, for those who are outsiders and have never really known God, and for those who think that they're good and show up to church and wear the right clothes and say the right words, he's saying there's all room For you in my family, and the reason that there's all room for you in his family is because, as you continue to read this story, you find out, and this is what we were celebrating today, is the birth of Christ, the birth of the one who would come to save the whole broken world, of which you're a part of. So listen. He wants you in the family. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. It means, first of all, to believe that Jesus died on the cross for all those things that are in your closet and all that's in your dirty laundry. All of that Jesus died for. And you go, but how could he do that? Here's the deal. There's only two ways to get to heaven. One is be perfect. How are you doing on that plan? Anybody, raise your hand. Okay, okay. So we didn't make that one. Okay, great. So then there's, the, there's an escape plan. Have some, listen. Because the test is coming. And one, the one, way to, the one way to get into heaven is to take your own test. To be perfect. To do your own test. The other way to get into heaven, listen to me, is to have someone take the test for you. The one who was perfect for your sake. The one who not only was perfect for your sake, but took on the penalty for your sin. Beloved, you don't want to say no to that. You don't want to say no to that. When we come to Christ, he takes away our shame and our guilt. Those things in the past that you and I have felt like they've been anchors onto our souls. Jesus says, that's not the way I see you. You're new. You're a new creation. You're as white as snow. When I open the door to my house, it's like, look, there's nothing to be ashamed about. You can know everything about me because he washed me white as snow. Sometimes I wonder about going to heaven and and being with God and going, God, ah. You know that one thing that I can't get over, man? I'm so sorry that I did that. I'm so, you know, because everybody's got that one thing. Don't you have that one thing? And you know, I have a sense that God is going to go, what are you talking about? And go, you know, Saturday night, three in the morning, you, know, you remember? Tuesday afternoon, two o'clock, you remember? And he's going to go, I have no idea what you're talking about. I choose to see you the way I see my son. Perfect and holy and pure. That can be your story. Well, first, we got to believe Jesus died on the cross. That's the first thing. He took took the test for us. Okay, great. Second thing we do is we repent. It's an old, old old-fashioned word for a really present issue, especially in America. Today, the biggest problem in America is to actually make a judgment on someone is to say, oh, you're living in sin. Oh, you're doing wrong. But there's no room in the American theology for this concept of I'm a sinner. Listen, when we come to Christ, we come to him on his terms. Not only do we believe, but we say, yep, that's true. I haven't lived for you. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. That's true. And I don't want to do those things anymore. I want to turn to you. That's what repentance looks like. It's moving from believing Jesus and turning to them. Third, we trust Jesus with our bodies. That means wherever my body goes, whatever my body thinks, whatever my body does, I trust Jesus. And he guides and he directs. Trust Jesus with your body. We believe, we repent, and we trust.